Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning, the final from T-Mobile Park in Seattle. It's the Indians 4, the Seattle Mariners 2. I'm Davey Barris, lifelong Cleveland baseball fan, and I want to talk about the actual game on the field, the thing I enjoy, watching baseball being played. And it is tough to watch baseball being played when the Indians are out on the West Coast and the games are starting at 10-10. How did you do it, right? How did you do it? I asked on Twitter. I actually threw a poll up on Twitter. Now, personally, myself, uh, I made it through seven innings. I made it through seven innings. It was tough. I I literally had the phone in bed with the game on, and I just could not keep my eyes open anymore. Uh, I asked you on Twitter, and the votes were kind of split between some of you who stayed up, some of you fought through, stayed up, and said, I can sleep at work. I can pass out of my desk. I will stay up and watch this game. That's the diehards right there. Uh, and then the rest of you said, uh, tell me when they're east of the Mississippi again, and then I'll watch. You know, Tell me when this West Coast trip is over, and then I'll watch again. Personally, I'm a watch as many uh, innings as I can kind of guy, and then I'll catch the highlights in the morning. Uh, some of our friends from the UK said, uh, first pitch is 310 in the morning here. So I'm not sure I'm going to make it. Uh, so that's fair for our UK uh, listeners. And then uh, we got another fan who said he was in the Pacific time zone and he was sitting with his margarita and enjoying the game. Perfect time for him. So congrats to our, our West Coast Clevelanders who finally get an Indians game uh, at a time that's good for them. Uh, So yeah, so I made it through seven innings, and I wanted to keep fighting. I really did, because obviously the big storyline of this game is Zach Plesak took a no-hitter into the eighth inning, and I fought like crazy, and I just, I think I slept through most of the seventh inning, and I opened my eyes as Ty France uh, flew out, and I was like, okay, you're not going to make it. Just give up. Just give up on this one. And yeah, I did. Um... And it was okay because J.P. Crawford led off the eighth inning with a single. To end the no-hit bid, he lined a shot out into center field, um, had an expected batting average of 650, a 99.8-mile-per-hour exit velocity, nothing Plesak can do. I think think he was ahead in the count. I think uh, Austin Hedges was calling for that pitch down, and he threw it up outside and it was just a pitch that Crawford could just get the barrel on and poke it out into center field so that ended the no-hit bid I'm not gonna lie I I think part of me was kind of relieved when I woke up this morning and saw that the final was four to two Um, because you don't want to miss it you don't want to miss the first no-hitter in forever has it been 40 years since the last Cleveland Indians no-hitter was Len Barker's perfect game the last no-hitter, the last perfect game. Yeah, Friday, May 15th. We're almost at the anniversary of it, actually. It's almost been 40 years. Tomorrow will be 40 years to the day since Len Barker threw the perfect game in 81. So it's been a long time. And to have that happen in Seattle, where none of us can stay up and watch it, uh, that would have been brutal. I mean, come on. So, uh, I mean, we all wanted Plesak to get a no-hitter. Just... We wanted to be able to watch it and celebrate with him. Uh, so I tried my best to stay up, but I made it through seven innings. Um, yeah, so he gives up the single to Crawford. He gets Torrens to ground out, and then he hangs one. He absolutely hangs one to Dylan Moore. Uh, it definitely was an off-speed pitch, 
it was pretty close to, let's go over to the illustrator here. It was pretty close to right down the middle and he destroyed this ball. He's not really known as, you know, one of their home run hitters. Uh, he's been up here for a few years and he's, ne- I don't think he's ever had more than double digit home runs. So I don't know what his uh, profile was as a rookie for uh, Dylan Moore, but I can tell you that he hasn't really been a big bopper or anything like that uh, when it comes to uh, hitting in the majors. I mean, he was hitting eighth for them last night. Uh, He's uh, 28 years old, second baseman. He's hitting 162 on the season. Uh, What's he slugging? Will you tell us? He is slugging 324. So, yeah, this is his third season. Uh, he had nine home runs in 2019 in only 247 at-bats. Last year, he had eight home runs in 137 at-bats. In 105 at-bats this year, he's at four home runs. So maybe he hasn't really gotten you know, a 500, 600 at-bat season. So I don't know. Maybe Dylan Moore does have some pop as a second baseman. But he unloaded on that pitch. And uh, he actually left Plesak in to finish the inning. I mean, Plesak's pitch count wasn't that high on the day. He ends up throwing 96 pitches total, 66 were strikes. So a decent start uh, for Plesak when it comes to pitch count and attacking the strike zone. Uh, So, you know, how did this no-hit bid happen? What was he doing? Uh, His CSW wasn't incredible. It was a 30%, which is good. It's a good start, 30%. The most effective pitch is that, as far as CSW goes, as far as called strikes and getting whiffs, is the, was his curveball, which was at 45%. The fastball was effective, 34%. Got a lot of called strikes with the fastball, 10 called strikes. The slider and the change in the 20s. Um, I mean, when you look at his box score, he goes eight innings, gives up the two hits and the two runs, obviously, in the eighth. He had three walks. Two of them were in the first inning, but he only had two strikeouts. That's the interesting thing. He was hard hit nine times yesterday, including three barrels, which barrels you would expect to go out. Uh, obviously, the home run was a barrel. Uh, I don't know what else they considered a barrel. If they considered um, uh, it's a combination of the launch angle right and the um, in the hard hit ball. So uh, looking at the exit velocity against him, uh, Jarek Kalenic. The, uh, the rookie um, in the eighth inning, he flew out at 100 miles per hour, 33-degree launch angle. It had an expected batting average of 430. Could that be the barrel that they're talking about? Um, there was another one from Evan White that had a 33-degree launch angle, 93 mile per hour. That doesn't seem like it's hit hard enough. The home run was 104.9 in a 30-degree launch angle. And then there was a line-out from Evan White that was 109.8. 109.8, 16-degree launch angle, had an expecting batting average of 700, and it was a line-out. That's probably the other barrel. So, yeah, uh, the expected batting averages for the, uh, for the Seattle Mariners hitters weren't that ridiculously high. Besides the home run... That Evan White line out in the single, uh, there's a couple ones that had a 400 expecting batting average, a couple of ground outs and a fly out, 
a couple in the 300s, then it really trails off. I mean, most of these guys were just hitting easy balls right at somebody. He got a lot of ground balls. We're going to jump over to fan graphs to get a little more detail. And I think this is the key to it. Uh, on fan graphs, on his game log, they have the BAPIP, the batting average balls in play at 0. 0.045, by far the lowest of his entire uh, season so far. 0.45 on BAPIP. That means that even when guys were putting the ball in play, they were getting incredibly unlucky, hitting it right at people, uh, making weak contact. So that's a little bit to police X pitching, and that's a little bit to uh, the luck of the Seattle Mariners hitters. Uh, when you look, his FIP, his fielding independent pitching, uh, was at 535, uh, one of the highest of the season. Uh, you take out those two losses where he got lit up by the White Sox, and it was his highest of the season because he walked three guys. He wasn't getting a lot of strikeouts. He gave up a home run. Uh, on the things independent of his fielders, he actually wasn't pitching that great according to this metric. That's why you need a lot of different metrics. But something like BAPIP at 0.45 and FIP at 535 lets me know that his defense was just picking him up all night long or he was getting them to hit the ball right at one of his defenders. Um, the batted ball profile last night, uh, he was getting a decent amount of ground balls, 52.2% ground balls. He did give up a lot of fly, fly balls, 39.1% fly balls. Um, a couple of line drives, 8.7% uh, line drives. So, uh, yeah, more fly balls than he had been giving up typically in the season. Uh, the ground ball percentage was about the same. Uh they were pulling the ball against him a lot, 56.5% pull rate. Uh, and they were making hard contact, 39.1% hard contact. That's actually the most hard contact Plesek has given up all season. But it works in his favor. Um, his pitch mix was about the same. It was about the same that he's been doing all year. And the plate discipline numbers were about the same. Uh, the swing percentage was 51% from those Mariners hitters. Uh, outside the zone contact was at 72%, a little bit high, a little bit high for him. The inside the zone contact was at 77.4%. That's actually a little bit low. He was uh, That's a little bit low for him. He had been in the 80s his last four starts. Uh, contact overall, 75%, about what he's been doing for his last five starts. He was in the zone 46% of the time. His first pitch strike was at 71.4%, so he was really attacking. And his swinging strike was at 12.5%, which is about what he does uh, from his last five starts. He's been pretty consistent his last five starts. Jumping back to, to uh, Baseball Savant and just looking at the illustrator and looking where he was locating his pitches, and I, I've, I've seen this to be really effective. And guys that have had good starts, including those no-hitters against us, this is what I'm seeing. Two off-speed pitches that have opposite profiles. So the slider, remember we were talking with Sam Henches where everything seemed like it was in a plane. It was in a plane based on his left hand and his, his arm angle, and it was kind of this slice across the strike zone. For Plesak, he was really working pitches to both sides. The fastball he was attacking in the zone with. The slider would break down into the right from the catcher view, and the changeup was breaking down into the left from the catcher's view. 
So if you're a hitter up there and you see it spinning, you don't know, is it going to spin down into the left or down into the right? Is it a changeup or is it a slider? That's hard to pick up. And uh, that's how you keep hitters off balance. By being able to go off speed to both sides and then pound the strike zone with your fastball, that is a really effective pitch mix. So, Plesak, a heck of an outing. It was strange. It was bizarre. It was not the way you see a typical no-hit bid. I mean, he had been racking up the strikeouts lately and only two strikeouts and just getting them to hit the ball in the right spot. Uh, It helped when you have some great defense behind you, and we got to give a shout-out to Josh Naylor on the first, was it the first pitch of the game? The new rookie for the Seattle Mariners, Jared Klenick, he was swinging and being aggressive early, and he flew out down the right field line, and Josh Naylor went like an absolute truck and and dove over the the right field stands uh, where it comes down real low to field level. He flipped over the outfield stands to make a diving catch on a clinic fly ball in foul territory. It was a hell of a catch. I mean, it's shades of, you know, Jeter diving across the seats um, in Yankee Stadium. It's shades of, oh, who is that Indians outfielder that made that flipping catch in the bullpen in Boston? Austin Jackson. That's right. It was Austin Jackson in 2017 who made that amazing catch over the bullpen in Boston. And now add Josh Naylor to that list of names of guys who are willing to go to the railing, are willing to sacrifice their body to make a spectacular catch. It was actually, I was well done by him because he makes the catch while he's still, he's got his eye on the ball. And then as soon as he makes the catch, he kind of looks where he's landing, rolls, gets ready for impact. So it was actually well done. It was pretty pretty athletic from Josh Naylor there. Um, so yeah, so great defense definitely helps a great pitching performance. Let's talk about the Indians hitting, though. Let's go over to that side of the... Because one of the things that sets you up for success as a starter is when your offense can get you runs early, and that's what the Indians did. They scratch across two runs in the second and two more in the third to give themselves a really nice cushion to work with. And they needed it because they didn't have a lot of hits yesterday. I mean, the Indians only have six hits yesterday, and they didn't walk. So they only had six guys on base. They were two for two with runners in scoring position, so that's great to see. You'd like a few more opportunities, but they got the job done. So uh, in the second inning, Eddie Rosario starts with a flyout, and then Fermil Reyes with a big home run to center field, 111.3 mile-per-hour exit velocity, 422 distance, a 990 expected batting average. Um, yeah, it was a off-speed pitch that just spun in the middle of the plate. And I tweeted this out yesterday, but the difference, I feel the difference between a good hitter and a great hitter. Those great hitters, when you make a mistake, there's no coming back from it. They will make you pay, right? In the AL, you know, in the AL Central right now, I'm thinking of Nelson Cruz. If you make a mistake to Nelson Cruz, it's gone. It's gone. If you make a mistake still, if you still make a mistake to Miguel Cabrera, it's gone. Um, you know, there's some hitters. Uh, let's see, anyone on the Royals like that that I can think of? Uh, with Merrifield, he'll make you pay in a different way, right? He'll make you pay with a gapper or something like that. Uh, great hitters will make you pay for your mistakes. And that's what Fermil Reyes did 
last night, and that's what can make him a great hitter. I mean, yeah, guys are going to challenge him with breaking balls away and fastballs up, and he'll continue to work on that, his approach on those pitches. But when you get a mistake, you have to do something with it. And we've seen other hitters get mistakes and foul it back or something like that, right? That's that's probably why Jake Bowers is not really developing into the hitter we thought he was going to be. Uh, even though we love, you know, we loved his power at the beginning of the season, Jordan Luplo has definitely let some mistake pitches go and and not made people pay for him. Well, yesterday, Fermil Reyes made a pay. And then Josh Naylor fouls it up after his great catch. He fouls it up in his first at-bat with a single. Uh, Harold Ramirez lines out, but then Jake Bowers singles into the gap, into left center field, and Naylor is able to come around and score. So uh, we scratch across two in that first inning. Uh, And then in the uh, third inning, Ahmed Rosario with a single after Cesar Hernandez strikeout led off the inning, and Jose Ramirez... Uh, takes a fastball and cranks it out, 95.8 mile per hour, exit velocity, only 368 uh, distance, 361 on the distance, a 280 expected batting average, but in Seattle, it is good enough for a home run. And uh, that's all it takes. And Jose Ramirez actually leads the American League in home runs right now with 11 home runs. The only player ahead of him is Ronald Acuna Jr. for Atlanta, who hit another one last night. He is at 12. Mitch Haniger, actually, from Seattle, is at 10. J.D. Martinez is at 10. Shohei Otani is at 10, all chasing him. Former Cleveland Indian Jesus Aguilar is at 9. So, yeah, uh, pretty awesome. Fermil Reyes also at 9. So, pretty awesome that Jose Ramirez is leading the American League right now, pacing the American League in home runs. Uh, yeah, so that was clutch from him yesterday, and that's really, I mean, that's really all the Indians do. They sprinkle a few more hits throughout this game. Uh, they go one, two, three in the, um, oh, that's right. It should have been one, two, three, but there was a dropped third strike in the fourth inning, um, I think for Harold Ramirez. So they go one, two, four, one, two, three, four in the fourth inning. Uh, they go one, two, three in the fifth, one, two, three in the sixth, one, two, three in the seventh. Cesar Hernandez singles uh, in the eighth, but I believe that was probably the inning that he was picked off in. So they go one, two, three in the eighth, and they go one, two, three in the ninth. So that's it. That's the Indians' offense. After the third inning, there was nothing more to see from the Indians' offense, but they just bared down and played great defense behind a great pitching performance. Now, the ninth inning gets a little dicey. Because uh, Class A was just all over the place. And I agree with everybody on Twitter this morning. Class A does not need to pitch three days in a row. Uh, he just, you have other arms in this bullpen. You have a two run lead. You got to trust other guys in your bullpen a little bit. I know it's a safe situation and you bring your closer in for a safe situation. But when you see a guy doesn't have it, and Class A did not have it yesterday. Even though he got a uh, pop out and a fly out to start the inning, um, his pitch count, he had through 18 pitches, only six were strikes. And looking at the pitch illustrator, only five were in the strike zone. That cutter was all over the place, all over the place. And so he ends up, after getting two outs, walking Kyle Lewis, walking Ty France, 
walking J.P. Crawford, and I, I swear Francona sometimes does this, he will not take a pitcher out. He will let a pitcher give up runs before he takes them out. Luckily for us Indians fans yesterday, he brought in Brian Shaw, right? You never thought I'd be saying that sentence. He brought in Brian Shaw to face Torrens, and he gets the strike out of Torrens. Actually, a pretty good strike out of Torrens. He was really aggressive with his cutter on the outside edge, threw a waist slider down and away, but attacked him with three cutters on the outside edge and gets the swing strike for the strikeout. So, Classe almost blew this game, and he shouldn't have been out there. I don't think it's his fault. I blame Terry Francona for that one. You gotta, I mean, you cannot overwork Classe and Karinschek this early in the season. You need these guys to go a long season. It is, you've heard it a million times, it's a marathon, not a sprint. So, I'm guessing Classe is unavailable in the bullpen tonight. I'm guessing if it's the same situation, you're looking at James Karinchek. Uh, so yeah, that was the uh, that was the storylines from the Indians yesterday. The other thing I want to look at is who are these Seattle Mariners, right? Uh, we faced two rookies making their debut. Their number one prospect in their system, according to MLB, Jared Kalenic. He was the a first round pick of the New York Mets, sixth overall, uh, a high school bat. Um, and he came over in the Robinson Cano trade. He's a 65 hit, a 60 power, a 60 run, a 60 arm, a 55 field, and a 65 overall on that 20 to 80 grading scale. So a 65 rookie, you're doing pretty good. Uh, Yeah, he's known for his speed. He's known for his bat, and he's supposed to be. He's only 21 years old. He is supposed to be the future in Seattle. So we got to see him. Uh, he did not do anything against us. He was 0 for 4 with a strikeout. So we were able to keep the lid on him in his debut. And then Logan Gilbert was the starter against us yesterday. He was a first round pick of Seattle, number 14 overall, in, in that same 2018 draft. And he came out of Stetson University, which if you're thinking, how do I know that name? It's because that's where Corey Kluber and Jacob DeGrom are from. So that's pretty good company. He's a big 6'6 right-hander. They got his fastball at 65, but his slider at 55, his curve at 50, and his changeup at 55. Control 55, and overall they have him as a 55. Uh, They talk about his four-pitch mix. They talk about his fastball that can reach 97. He did reach 97 against us yesterday a little bit, but he was averaging uh, 94 miles per hour on his fastball, which he threw a ton, 43 times. Didn't throw the changeup at all. Threw the slider and the knuckle curve a little bit. Uh, as far as CSW goes, his most effective was the knuckle curve. But, uh, yeah, we didn't see his full. I don't know why he didn't bust out the changeup. Uh, you, you know the scouting report against the Indians. So, apparently he has one. Uh, we did not see it from him. So, there we go. We saw two rookies yesterday, two top prospects for the Seattle Mariners uh, in their debut yesterday. Uh, the rest of the pitchers we're facing uh, so far, they haven't announced the starter for Sunday yet. But the next two guys are guys that have a little bit of major league experience under their belt, including a former Indian prospect, prospect Justice Sheffield, who will be facing on Saturday. All right. Uh, I think that's all my thoughts. MVP for the day. When a guy takes a no-hit bid into the eighth inning, no matter how he did it, you get MVP for the day. So it's a gutsy performance from Plesek. 
He wasn't getting the strikeouts. They were putting the ball in play. He was even giving up some barrels, but he did what he had to do to get the job done with that four-run lead. He said, go ahead, hit it to my defenders. I got Josh Naylor diving over railings for me. I think we can handle you Seattle Mariners. And they did. So, Plesak, you get MVP for the day. All right, that's all my thoughts. Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland baseball morning. Again, the final from Seattle. It's the Indians for the Mariners 2. We'll be back tomorrow as Savali goes against Flexen. Flexen was 3-1 with a 3.78 ERA on the season for them, so he's been pitching all right. You can follow me on Twitter at Davey Barris. You can email the show at clevelandbaseballmornings at gmail.com. Let me know your thoughts on the game, and we'll discuss them on the show. Also, I'm hosting this podcast on Anchor, so if you go to anchor.fm forward slash clevelandbaseballmornings, you can leave a voicemail for the show. We'll play them back on the air, respond to your thoughts, and we'll have a fun conversation amongst the fans about baseball. So thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning.